Let's go to Jude. We are in a, I'm just going to say this. We are in a tough, tough section of the book of Jude. Verse 22, 23. This is the, the command section that has to do with our ministry to others. And this is hard. I'm not going to say otherwise. Uh, this is hard. To be honest, the things that Jude is calling us to do goes totally contrary to what our hearts, our own self-centered opinions and desires, uh, they fight against it. And they fight hard against this. Because this is asking you to do something that you don't want to do. All right? That, that's, that's very, very important. It, it, there are two things that can happen. Let me, let me just say it this way. All right, ready? Because this is a test, if you will, for each one of us. We can walk into a room and see a mess and say one of two things. We could walk into the room and see a mess and say, um, how do I get out of here? Or we could walk in a room and see a mess and say, how can I help? That's what you're going to have to wrestle with as we go through these verses. Because the Lord tells us to do something, and it goes against our will. I'll be honest with you. This is one we fight with. And uh, I, I set it up that way because we've gone through Jude now for 30 weeks. 30 sermons! On a little book of 25 verses that could have been read in 10 minutes. But we've gone through it on purpose because Jude is telling us very early in the book, verse number 3, these are things you contend for earnestly. That's work. That's not just kind of, you know, I'll just, I'll just you know, it'll just happen, no problem, I'll just get by. That, that's, this is work. And the problem is that false teachers, as you know, the whole theme of this book was what a false teacher can do to a church. And he went through a lot of descriptions about these things. And he says they've already crept in and they're already creating their problems. And how we know that is because we are called in verse 22 and 23 to help those who have fallen to it. And that's where we are now. We're going through all this, and it wasn't just a mental exercise. It wasn't just to, to fill 30 weeks uh, of your life in church sermon preparation. But it's so that we know what to do. Because to be honest with you, the mentality of our world and how it has so saturated the American church today, the majority say, there's a mess, how do I get out of here? I'm sorry to say it that way. Because what you are walking through from verse number 17 all the way through verse 23 are the commands that reflect your spiritual growth. This is the test. Alright? The test whether or not you are mature and ready to be used by the Lord to help those in need. Uh, Look at the words. The, verse, the, the verses, verse number 22 and 23, Have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. I told you that this is, this is the, the uh, believer 
that's in trouble. The believer that's in trouble. He has been in the church where the false teacher has infiltrated. It has changed his thinking and his behavior to that which is not church-like, just to say it that way. He's, he's doing things that are contrary to this faith that uh, Jude is referring to. And as a result, he's gotten himself into trouble. He's thinking worldly. He's thinking falsely. He's even acting worldly and acting falsely. And I could say she just as easily. Understand that. But there is an individual or a handful of individuals that have fallen for the false teaching. Why? What happened? Well, they weren't doing the first two things they were told. In verse 17, they were not consulting Scripture. They did not remember what they had been told. They had been trained up to do what's right, to think what's right because of God's Word. But once the minute, the minute you forget that, you're in trouble. And they were no longer guided by the truth. They were guided by a false teacher. They fell for it. What else did they not do? Well, in verse number 20 and 21, they weren't building themselves up in the faith. And I've talked about that quite a few times, but I'll say it again. That you are either growing in Christ or you are in danger of falling right now. And that's the end of Second Peter chapter 3, verse 17 and verse 18. It says that uh, there are those who are uh, uh, confused in a sense. They, are, they have heard false teaching as a result. They have lost their steadfastness. They are wavering. Jude calls them doubters. But that's what they have done. They've become unstable. As a result, they could fall. And it's not fall from grace. It's not fall from salvation. It's your fall from your steadfastness. And our world desperately needs Christians who can stand on their two feet. And that's a danger. And so they're not building up. If you're not building up, if I'm not building up, we're, we're not neutral. That's not the Christian picture. We're either building up or we're in danger. And so I, I appeal that way over and over and over again. Praying in the Holy Spirit. If you're not praying, folks, what's the matter? What keeps us from going to the, the, to the one who provides everything and loves us so much? The one who knows your needs before you know your needs. The one who is guiding you and loving you and wanting to be with you. Praying in the Holy Spirit. What better thing do we need when we're confused and we're troubled in the things of this world? We need to pray. And that's also a test as to whether or not you're growing or not. Are you praying? And then also in verse 21, keeping yourselves in the love of God. That's actually the command. Stay close to Him. Stay Stay close in your faith. Stay close in your prayers. But stay close to Him. That's where you are protected. That's where you get your strength. The minute you step outside of that circle, you're operating on your own strength. How's it going to work? Not so good. You're also operating on your own wisdom. And how does that work? Not so good. And guess who you're doing it for, by the way? Yourself. I'm just thinking, 
The closer we get to the Lord, if I could just say, let's just do that. Let's just keep close to the Lord. That will shape us in our faith. That will make us better in prayer. That will give us that hope that we're anxiously waiting for, uh, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the mercy He's coming with. I mean, that's where it's all about. That's what it's all about. And if we're not doing that, how are we ever going to have mercy on somebody who has fallen for the false teacher? Matter of fact, if you're not doing verse 17, and if you're not doing verse 21, you're the one likely to need rescued. You see it? That's what it comes down to. So, those who are growing, those who are maturing, Jude doesn't pull his foot off the pedal. He says, you've got an incredible ministry right now. And that is because you are outside the hole, and they are in the hole in trouble. Who's going to reach down and help? That's supposed to be us, who are strong, maturing, growing in the Lord. Remember, there are three people down there. I gave you their descriptions last week. Right? You forgot, I'm starting over. First guy, Mr. Confused. Verse number 22. He's doubting. He's confused. And that's just what Second Peter 3, verse uh, chapter 3, verse 17 said. I'm going to read it to you so I get the words exact. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men. That's false teaching. And fall from your own steadfastness. That's the same concept of this poor guy in the hole. He is confused. He is doubting. He doesn't know which end is up. Is he a believer? Yeah, he's a believer, but he's lost his way. I'll give you another description of him. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1. Let me see if the page turns that way. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9. Oh, here's another one, by the way. Start in verse 8. Because the contrast is set up again. In verse 8, you've got the growing Christian. These qualities, he's talking about knowledge, moral excellence, faith. He's talking about self-control. He's talking about perseverance and all these things in verse 5, 6, and 7. And when he says all these things, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, that's a maturing believer, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where you ought to be. But he who lacks these qualities, and it's possible, folks, is blind short-sighted, and has forgotten his purification from his former sins. Does that mean he wasn't forgiven? That's not what he said. He says, you forgot. There's a difference. The whole concept of verse number 9 here, being blind and short-sighted, the, the Greek words are, you've got smoke in your eye. You can't see. We, we never think of it this way, but if this room filled up with smoke, we've got devices here that's supposed to help us get out of here. All right? There's supposed to be little lights and things. They're over there and here and places like that. You don't want to hear that. When that, when that alarm goes off, your ears just start throbbing from the sound. It works. It works really good, by the way. But uh, those devices are helping you to find where the exits in this room we got signs to help you find exits. And that's what you, you look for. But if your room is, if your eyes are full of smoke, guess what you do with them? You close them. And how do you find the exit then? 
you get confused. And unfortunately, that's a terror that goes with a, a room full of smoke and a fire, is that people, they, they panic because they can't find the exit and the smoke is too much for them. They're overcome by it. That's the picture of verse number nine, is that when you're in the midst of that, you forget some things. <laughs> like, how do I get out of here? And you might get completely turned around. I don't want you to ever be in such a state, confused in your faith, that you're thinking, was I ever forgiven or not? But you know what? That's usually the first thing people think when they get caught in a sin. Have I been forgiven? That's where they wrestle with it. And it's no wonder, because they're caught up in something they shouldn't be in. They shouldn't be there. They should have been growing. Instead, they're, they're confused. That's the first guy, and we're supposed to have mercy on him, according to verse 22. That's the idea of reaching down, and the command is keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on. Don't stop. Reach down in that hole and help him. You're not supposed to be confused. He's confused. Guess who can help him? You can. Reach, 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 reach. What if they don't want it? Keep reaching. Keep reaching. He doesn't say until, does he? He says keep reaching. Keep on showing mercy. Keep on showing mercy. Keep. You get it? That's what we're supposed to do. And I showed you the contrast. That word elias in the Greek for mercy, pity, it's the opposite of retaliation. It's the opposite of disgust. And it's the opposite of coldness. And more times than not, when somebody gets into trouble, we show them retaliation, disgust, and coldness before we ever show them mercy. We've got to reach down, folks. Is that going to be hard? Yes. It's hard. I told you it goes against our natural inclinations. You know what mercy is, don't you? You know what mercy is. If I said, what is grace? Most of you could come up with that phrase. It's, it's getting something I don't deserve. What is mercy? Not getting what you do deserve. <laughs> right? The person who's confused, who's caught up in a sin, who's wrestling down there, do they deserve mercy? No. But see, that's a characteristic of our God. He knows what we deserve, because we've earned it. The wages of sin? Death. Cover the hole. Walk away. That's what they deserve. Aren't you glad God didn't do that to you? Let me make an appeal to you, just as I'm turning to Ephesians chapter 2 for a second. So many times when we're evaluating somebody in the hole and we're looking at them and we see their sin and we're, and we're puzzled as to what are we to do about that. I want to, to challenge you to think first, what did Jesus do about it? In Ephesians chapter 2, an excellent chapter, he starts in verse number 1 through 3 and tells you how bad it is. The hole is terrible to be in. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, 
according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived. Don't, don't look at the guy in the hole like he's different than you. We all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love in which He loved us, even while we were dead in our transgressions. That's, that's amazing. He didn't say, clean up first and I'll reach for you. Did He? He sees them down there as they are, and while we were there, He made us alive together with Christ and raised us up. I love that phrase. Just fits my picture pretty good, doesn't it? He reached down, and guess what he did? He pulled us out. Is there any surprise that Jude comes to that same behavioral thing for us to do? When we see that person in the hole... We could go, I could go story after story after story. My favorite among them is the Samaritan, the good Samaritan. Everybody else passed by the guy who was all beaten up, and one guy stopped to help. Those kind of things stand before me. And I look at Jude again, and I say, okay, what is mercy? They don't deserve it, but neither did I. I'm very glad the Lord was merciful to me. And because of that, I will reach down and help. And will it hurt? Yeah. Will it be hard? Yeah. Will I have to stretch? Yes. Because that might be a pretty deep hole. Am I willing to stretch? Oh, there's the question. How far did Jesus stretch for you? About this far? On a cross? How much are you willing to do? Didn't he say to take up your cross? And follow him. I'm appealing to you today, folks, because this is hard stuff. And this is what, what mature Christians are called to do. And it's a command. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. When you've got a confused guy down there, reach him. Reach him. Reach him. Reach him. Reach him. Reach him. Don't stop showing pity. Don't stop showing grace. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Okay, well, that was only one guy. There's two more down there. Who's the second guy? The committed. Let's talk about him today. Let's talk about the committed. All right? I've got all these wonderful notes here. These are fun. All right, verse number 23. The committed. It starts this way. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. Snatching them out of the fire. You are to save? What do you mean save? Woo! That's a big word. We use that word a lot, don't we? I'm saved. Are you saved? We use that word for a lot of, of, of that Christianese that talk. What does it mean to be saved? We, we use that word saved. It's also the word deliver. I'm delivered. Are you delivered? That's the word. That, that's what it speaks of in all its fullness is to it even means to cure, by the way. To cure, to deliver, to make well, to recover, to make whole. Sozo is the Greek word. 
It has the idea of being safe or being well. And that's the picture behind this word salvation. In Jesus Christ, we have been made well. Matter of fact, in Jesus Christ, we have been made safe. Isn't that beautiful? That's what he's done for us. He's put us in a whole new place. He's the one who, we were dead and now we're alive. He's delivered us. Delivered us. Okay, so looking at this word, it says for you to keep on delivering. I'm going to change the word on purpose because of the way we use the other word so much. Keep on delivering. Keep on delivering. Keep on making them well. Keep on making them whole. Keep on recovering them, recovering them, recovering them. Keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on. Don't quit. Don't stop. You do it. Keep on. Is that easy? No. No. Making something whole? By the way, you know you can't do that, right? What, what's that dependent on? That's God's work. And guess who's able to do it? Verse 24. That's why we trust Him. He's able to. You say, I can't, I can't save anybody, Lord. I, I can't deliver anybody. I, I, that's, he says, I know. Let me use you. Let me use you to bring this about. To help this person. Reach, 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 reach this person. That's, that's what we're called to do. You, you want to see it? I'll prove it to you. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It starts in verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Does that sound wonderful to you? Been restored? Made whole? Saved? Yes. New creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. You mean that guy in the hole could be made new? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Now, all these things are from who? God, who reconciled us to himself, aren't you glad? Through Christ, yes, and gave us, wait, 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 and what? Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. (laughs) Isn't that cool? He took our broken little lives and fixed them and made them right in Christ, and he says, now, go and do it. I love that day that he told his disciples, all right, you go out and heal the lepers and, and, you know, cast out demons and heal the sick. Do you know what it was like for them that day to say, okay. And they went from town to town and did it, and they came back and they were astounded, weren't they? You want to know the rest of the story? Come tonight. All right, because that's part of it. But it, it, they were overwhelmed with this. God can use us. And he did. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Don't take that lightly. That's all of you, folks. You've been given reconciliation. You now have a ministry. All right? Namely, what is it? That God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Ooh, stop right there. 
But this guy in the hole has a problem. Who are we to count trespasses against him if God won't? How many of us stand with the stone in our hand? Where Christ said, I don't condemn you. God's, that's his department. And in his department, he's reconciling people and he's not counting their trespasses against them. He's committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Don't take that title lightly. As though God were making an appeal through us, we come to these people, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God could do that in anybody's life. Don't ever shortchange that ministry and say it can't happen in this case. It won't work in this case. I'm telling you, delivering them, it's not your skill to be able to deliver them. It's your trust that God will use you to reach them with the very same thing he reached you with. And that's the word of Christ. What Christ has done for us. So do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Those are key things that we see in Scripture. We're given this job to reconcile. To make a difference. If you want the the kind of definition I want to set before you. To restore. To reconcile. It's a ministry, folks. It's a hard work. But it's a ministry. It's a ministry. Who are these we're supposed to do this with? What does Jude say? Look at it very carefully. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. I told you these folks are called the committed. Guess where they are? In the fire. Not dancing around the edges of it. I'll tell a story. I, I tell stories about my kids. I never tell you their names on purpose. To say that it was my oldest daughter had nothing to do with the fact that it was one of my children. All right. Uh, she was young. The neighbors had this. They, they did this every year. They cut down a lot of tree branches and stuff. And, and they would pile it all up in the middle of their backyard, a big yard, log huge yard, and they piled this enormous pile, about 10, 11 feet tall by the time they got it ready, and the day came to torch it. And the kids liked to go over there and watch and stuff like that. And, and one of my daughters, the oldest one, but uh, she, she went over there, and she was young, and she thought it'd be fun just to run circles round and round and round that fire because of all the room to do it, and that was exciting until she slipped. I thank the Lord it was only her hand that got burned. Because you could easily fall completely in. And she didn't. She fell just enough. It burned her hand. Of course, we had to take her to ER and all that kind of stuff to get some help for that. But uh, what about the ones who are in the fire? Not just dancing around the edges. If you see them dancing around the edge, stop them. Go over and talk to them. We could talk about that and, you know, we see our brother or sister of Christ in sin. Shouldn't we go and talk to them? Shouldn't we warn them? Hey, that's dangerous. Don't go near that. Don't. That's dangerous. What do you do with the guy standing in it? Wait a minute. What's he doing in there? He's gone further 
than the guy who was confused. This guy's committed. He stepped in the middle of it. That's where you find him. Some people say, well, this is an unsaved person. Oh, it doesn't have to be an unsaved person. Christians could sin just as bad. They can. And they could be right in the middle of the fire. Who's going to help them? Who's going to help them? Who's going to reach in there and snatch them out? Who's, who's going to do that work to reach in there and help? Are we just going to stand there and watch them fry? I hope not. I mean, I know we've got guys in our church here, they're trained to be our firefighters. If we had an emergency, they're there. They, we call them up, they get in their trucks, they come running. They have fire. They're trained to do that, but they're not hoping there's a fire. I hope. I mean, they're not saying, boy, I wish somebody's house would catch on fire so I can go do something about it. They're just trained to do it. They're willing to do it if there's a fire. We don't stand around after being trained in mercy and deliverance and reconciliation and we know it and we love it and we've grown in it and we understand it. We're not standing around and saying, boy, I hope somebody gets in trouble soon so I could practice. But the goal is, if you see them in trouble, who's going to reach them? Is the world equipped to save somebody in fire? No. The church is supposed to be. We're supposed to be the first ones on the scene. We're supposed to be the ones who pull them out. There are people who are deceived, yes, and they get consumed in the flames. It's a terrible, terrible, terrible situation. The way the, the book of Psalms begins, chapter number 1, describes a person of this nature. I'll show you what I mean. I'll just go over there show you these couple of words. Psalm chapter 1. Let's see what time I got. Okay. Psalm chapter number one. This is what I mean. It's talking about the blessed man, yes, and what he avoids. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Is that your delight too? Do you love God's word? I mean, love God's word. You've got to have it. Better than a peach pie? Do you delight in God's word? I just ask you that. But let's go back to verse number one. Here he is. The guy's walking around. He's walking. 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 He's on a path, isn't he? He's walking in the counsel of the wicked. The wicked's telling him, go down this path. Go down this path. Go down this path. He doesn't know. He just trusts him. Okay, I'll follow him. I'm just going to walk. I'm going to walk. Going to walk, going to walk on their path. Not a good place to be. But show you the committed guy, he stands in it. He stopped walking. He's now standing there. We're supposed to stand in righteousness. We're supposed to stand in truth. He's standing in something too. And what's he committed to? The path. He's standing there in the path of sinners. He's committed. You want to get it worse? The next guy, after he stands for a while, he sits down. I'm staying. And he sits down right there, and he becomes a scoffer. That's the progression that follows with people who walk in the wrong path. Can a Christian get on that path? Very quickly, folks. 
where we can start walking down the wrong road, and then we're committed. We're in it. Both feet anchored to it. That's our guy in the hole right there. He's in the fire. He's standing in the middle of it. You're looking at him. I'm looking at him saying, what's wrong with you? Why are you in there? We're not asking those questions. What are we doing? What's Jude say? Save them. Snatch them. You want a cool word? Snatch? Harpazo, the Greek word, is the exact word for rapture. The exact word. What is that? Well, it happens fast. I'll tell you that much. I don't know if you've ever thought about this word. Harpazo. I've always thought of it like a harpoon. That's just, I get this picture of a harpoon in my head. The fish don't like them. All right? When the harpoon hits them, it's like instant. Grab them, snatch them back because of that big old hook on the end. That's the goal. You catch them and snatch them. It's a very violent word. And the Greek word is violent. It means to take by force. And I find this kind of interesting. We're not studying the rapture right now. But why do you think the Lord has to rapture us so quickly? Could it be that we're pretty well anchored to this world? And maybe he has to snatch us like that. This is the same word. It says to take it by force. It is the word used for the way a lion captures its prey. It doesn't walk up and say, hey, come over here. Right? It goes after it. And it, boom, it's on there. It's done. This is the word that's in front of you right now. That's the way we should respond when we see our brother or sister in Christ in the fire. It should be that quick, that instant, almost, if I can say this word, that natural for us, that the first thing we want to do is snatch them. It's the same reaction you parents have had with your little kids when you watch them getting very close to the top of the staircase, and they're like this. What do you do? You grab that little arm. You might pull it out of its socket, but you save their life. How many times have you done that in the parking lot? A car's coming around the corner, and they didn't see it. You know, little people can't see above the back of a car, especially these SUVs today. This is a vigilance that we have. What's interesting is how often that phrase is used in Scripture. How often it is used about something snatched away violently from the fire. Zechariah talks about that in there. The book of Zechariah, you can look it up in chapter 2 or 3, verse 2 and 3, talking about Joshua the high priest. He's like a stick pulled out of the fire, a brand from the fire. It's used again in the book of Amos. It's used, by the way, uh, in reference to Sodom in verse number 7 here. Let's see. No. Yeah, Jude, is it verse 7? Yeah, well, it's talking about the cities, uh, the, the Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities around them. They're, they're in, involved in gross immorality and went after strange flesh. Uh, they're an example to us of the under... Uh, undergoings of the punishment of eternal fire. There's a picture there of what sin looks like, and it's pretty bad. And they're in the fire. They're in the fire. And those who are committed are stepping into it and staying there. Do you care? Do you care? Are you going to help them? That's the word. I'm, I'm telling you, this is very contrary to our desires. 
Most of the time when somebody falls to a false teaching or false thinking and false behavior and they get involved in a sin and they look like they've committed to it, they're standing in the fire, we say, oh, we lost that one. That's generally the way we do it. I, I hate to say it that way, but we generally write them off. Say, no, no, sorry, we lost that one. Can't help them now. Oh, yes, you can. Because that's God's work. God is able to save anybody. Do you believe that? He saved us. He can save anybody. I'm not saying that you're able to do this. Like I said, it's God who does it through you. So, if you're wrestling with, how do I, how do I help you? How do I get this guy who's committed? How, what do I do for him? God says, just keep reaching down and let me work through you. Keep reaching down. Let me work through you. Keep reaching down. Keep reaching down. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Is that going to stretch us? Oh boy. Yes. But that's the picture we have in front of us. I haven't even touched on the worst of the three yet. My time is up. We have this great clock next door. Um, it surprised us in Sunday school this morning. We looked up there and the minute hand was going round and round and round like that. And I thought, whoa, that's fun. You know, see that clock just moving like that? And we thought Evan needed to fix it. But we found out later it's one of those atomic things. It was just resetting itself. And when it got to the right time, it stopped. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. But uh, um, we got a clock here that also moves too fast. I'm sorry about that. We'll just have to come back next week and talk about contaminated people. That's the third C, the contaminated. I, I just want to test your hearts today as you go into prayer and you're talking to the Lord and you realize what He has done for you, what He has done for you. Ask Him if you would use you, if He would use you to help somebody else. Heavenly Father, these words are in front of us, and we can't avoid them. They're here. They stand here so crystal clear. We wrestle with it. Yes, we do. And we have our ways and our opinions in this world of what we should do with things like this. And usually it's a mess, and we want to know how to get out of it. But what you call us to do is see the mess and say, how can I help? And I pray that all of our hearts are in tune on this one today. As we see this, the examples we can find in Scripture all over the place. But the reality is there are people all over the place around us who are in need because they have committed to standing in the fire. And I pray, Lord, that you give us a heart like yours. A heart that sees them, even in the worst situation it can be, sees them as somebody redeemable by the Lord. And may we be quick to snatch them up. Do our part, Lord. Whatever it is you call us to do, it's hard, I know. But this is a good test of where we stand with you. Lord, help us. Help us with this passage. Help us to understand and help us to do what we're called to do, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.